Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. You might have had an experience before in your life where you wonder, you know, where you're you had a, an elementary school teacher or something like that, and you, you feel like the, that elementary school teacher just lives in that elementary school classroom, because that's always where you saw them. Well, this is proof this morning that our worship team doesn't just live on this stage, uh, but they actually go to Brazil occasionally, and uh, they just proclaimed Christ. So thanks for going as representatives of Jesus and of Wildwood uh, this last couple of weeks. Well, we are in the midst of a series Uh, called True Grace, Grit to Stand in Hostile Territory, a series that's going to take us all summer and that is grounded in the book of 1 Peter. And really, the the theme of this book, the reason why I believe God had Peter write this letter was to encourage Christians who were living in a hostile world that God would give them the grace to be able to stand and survive and thrive. See, the first century was definitely hostile. Christians were being burned at the stake for their faith in Christ. Uh, Christians were being persecuted throughout the empire, and yet it was possible for Christians in that kind of a world to maintain their faith in Christ and stand strong. And it was not on the basis of their own personal strength, but it was on the basis of God's grace that was given to them. And Peter writes them this letter, and in chapter 5 of 1 Peter, verse 12 He summarizes his message and he says, this is the true grace of God, stand firm in it. And so all summer we're going to be seeing the grace that God is offering to you and I as well and how we can stand in hostile territory. Uh, Today we're going to be looking at chapter 2 verses 1 to 10, but before we we get to those verses today, uh, I want to just reflect a little bit with you about life and, and a little bit about something that maybe you can relate to, and that is that we are visual people. You ever thought about that? We are visual people. What, we, what looks impressive to us feels impressive to us. Uh, we know this because if you go to a downtown of a city and you see a large building, uh, you wonder what successful business offices inside of there because of the, the size and impressiveness of the structure. We know this in other areas too. I want you to imagine just for a moment that you were an alien and somehow you came from outer space and you landed in Arlington, Texas, and you looked up and you were in front of this building right here, the Death Star. And uh, as, as you're looking up at, at this building, you would have to think at some level that something really significant goes on inside there. Something really important must go on inside there. And of course, they would be right. God's team plays in there. Um, But if you saw that building, you would think that it, it just connotes something significant, something important. Let's imagine that you were to go inside and you were to see the Dallas Cowboys walk out in their beautiful uniforms with the, the star on the side of their helmet. I know, John, with your Philadelphia Eagles background, this is not a, a fun message for you yet, but it's a hostile world and God can give you grace, okay? Um, but you see them walk out in their uniforms with the star on the side of the helmet and they just look sharp and you think they must be someone important. You see, our eyes, what we see, helps us to understand what is important. But you know what? Our eyes aren't always right, are they? 
Sometimes things that are very important, sometimes things that are very significant, just don't look that way. And that's important for us to remember in a lot of areas in life. You know, don't judge a book by its cover. It's important for us to remember those kinds of general life lessons. But it's especially important for us to remember it as it relates to our spiritual life. And we find in 1 Peter chapter 2, the first 10 verses, we find encouragement for us who live in a world where our faith at times does not look that impressive. And this truth was communicated by Peter um, because in the first century, believers in Jesus Christ, especially those that lived in what we know of as modern-day Turkey, that lived as these you know, exiled lands up in Asia, there was not a lot about their lives that looked that impressive. They were being persecuted for their faith, and, and not only that, but their faith didn't have a number of things that other religions had in the first century. For one thing, their, their faith had no building. If you were a, someone from a Jewish background, this letter was written in the 60s, there still was standing in Jerusalem a very impressive building built by Zerubbabel in one of the returns to Jerusalem. Herod had improved upon it. It was quite an impressive building. It was the, the Jerry Jones Stadium of religions at that time. There was this very impressive structure for, for Jews that they could take pride in and they could point to and they could say, our God is impressive, just look at his building. And yet, if you were a Gentile background Christian living in Asia in the first century, you had no building like that to point to. If they were to, to go to Jerusalem, they would not have been allowed on the inside of that building. They were excluded from it. And there was no comparable edifice that had been constructed. There were not even church buildings in the first century. Believers gathered without a building. There was nothing that they could see. And you know what? Uh, in, in, in ancient religion, the, the leaders of those ancient religions would often dress in very impressive clothing. So the, the high priests of Judaism had some of that. They would dress in very impressive robes and garbs, kind of the, the Dallas cowboy uniform of the day. They looked very impressive. And yet the Christian leaders of the first century, they didn't look like that. They looked like normal folks who were being oppressed because of their faith. And if you were to take a survey of that area of Asia, the, the, the church was not something that had gained a lot of notoriety and fame. It was not something that the majority of people supported. It, no one was wearing the t-shirt. Nobody had the sticker of the, the first church of Asia on the back of their car. See, it's possible in the first century that those believers were, were looking around and there was no building, there were no uniforms, there, there was no popular support, and it's possible that they thought that because those things that they could see with their eyes didn't exist in plenty around them, that somehow that their faith or their God was, was somewhat insignificant. Well, it's to those people that this letter comes, and it's important for us that God preserve this letter because we too can struggle with this. We too can struggle with what we see with our eyes being the picture of what is relevant and what matters in our world. We have lived our lives as American Christians in a world that has been fairly favorable to us. Now, you might argue with me on that, but we've been able to, as churches, buy buildings, have property, 
have staff at churches that are able to, to, to lead different things. I mean, there, there's a lot of the, the same kinds of things that we've been able to do uh, in, in, in modern society. But you know what? As you look up on the eve of the middle of 2015, uh, there are, are signs that the visible world around us is not becoming so accommodating to Christianity. It's possible for us to spend our time looking at our surroundings and thinking, you know what, the, the, the significance of the church is hanging on the next Supreme Court decision, or it's hanging as our city council might vote, or it's, it's hanging in, in some balance in terms of a, a popular opinion poll, or the next Pew Research whatever, or Barna whatever. So we can begin to become so dependent that our, our faith is significant because of the stuff around us, because of what we can see, that we can forget the reality that our, our faith is significant, not because of what we have. Our faith is significant because of who we know. Our faith is significant because we are connected to the God of the universe. Our faith is significant because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the hope that we have. And, and what we're going to see today from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, is we're going to see that we can anchor our hope to him. Even when what we see doesn't look all that impressive, we can take by faith that God is at work. So we're going to do that by looking at 1 Peter chapter 2. If you've got a Bible, open up to 1 Peter chapter 2. While you're opening there, I want to make a little disclaimer. I was a little ambitious when I looked at... Uh, this passage for today, uh, and I originally thought we would cover all 10 of these verses. In reality, we're going to read all 10 of these verses, but we're only going to focus in the, the, the body of our message on verses 4 to 10. Uh, if you think that's because I think verses 1 to 3 are not important, then you would be wrong. Verses 1 to 3 are awesome, and they're better than anything else I'm going to say. Um, but we have, have focused our message on verses 4 to 10. If you want some reflections on verses 1 to 3, I'd encourage you to visit my blog, PastorMarkRobinson.com. There's uh, a lesson there called uh, True Grace Week 3 Devotional, which focuses on that section, really ties into where we ended things last week. It's also found on Wildwood City uh, site if you're on there. But uh, if you're interested in 1 to 3 in a deeper way, you can go find some information there. But we're going to focus on verses 4 to 10 with the balance of our time. Before we do that, though, I want to read them for us, and then we'll go back and unpack them. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1 says this. It says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame." So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now 
you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now, in these verses today, we're going to see three things, three things that focus our attention on Jesus Christ, focus our attention on Him who we cannot see, but who makes our faith worth it, who makes our lives matter, who makes our eternity secure. We're going to see three things today from this passage. The first thing we're going to see is this. We're going to see that Peter encourages his readers to come to Jesus, come to him. We see this in verse 4 and on down in verse 6. It begins in verse 4, and Peter writes and says, as you have come to him. What Peter is saying is, The most significant thing about you is your connection to Jesus Christ. Though you may feel insignificant, he would say to his first audience, though you may be living in some kind of exiled existence in in North Asia, though you may feel like you're a part of a minority group that, that everybody beats on and that nobody cares for, there's something very significant about you, and that thing that is very significant about you is that you are connected to Jesus. You have come to him. Now, when we think of the word come, we we think of that word in terms of uh, arriving at a destination, showing up someplace. But in the original language, this word come actually is more powerful than that. It's not come and visit, it's come and stay. It's not come and have a cup of coffee, it's come and abide. It's come and make your dwelling with someone. What Peter was saying to his original audience was that they had made their dwelling place with Christ. They had thrown in their lot with him. They had embraced him in faith. They'd said, well, we'll go with you no matter what. They had come to Jesus. Now, what is it that, that describes Jesus? This one that they had come to, and, and, and by application, the one that many of us in this room have come to, And the one at the very least that if you're in this room today, you're at least curious about or interested in that you would come and spend a portion of your Sunday morning to hear about, what is it about Jesus that is so interesting? What is it about Jesus that is so significant? Well, he describes Jesus in a very interesting way in verse 4. He says, you're going to come to him, and he calls him a living stone. Now, that's an odd choice of words. To call someone a living stone. I, we, we might think that Peter was just getting back at Jesus. What did Jesus nickname Peter? Rocky. So he's like, okay, you're going to call me Rocky, I'm going to call you the stone, all right? Uh, he's just going to return the favor. Uh, Peter here calls Jesus a, a stone. But what is it that Peter was getting at? It wasn't just an inside joke. It was something more significant than that. See, there's some different words that Peter could have used if he wanted to just call him something that exists in nature and is hard. There's lots of words for rocks or pebbles. But Peter here uses the word stone. And and why does he use that word? Well, this word that was used here as stone was not just a randomly occurring rock, but it was a rock that had been shaped, that had been polished, that had been prepared for a specific purpose in construction. That's the kind of thing that, that, that Peter is, is getting at here. He's saying that, that Jesus is someone who is, is special. He is unique. He has been prepared for a purpose. Jesus has something about him that is, that is, that is special. He'll go on a little later on in, in, in that verse and say that, 
Jesus is, in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Jesus is special. He was the one-of-kind Son of God. He lived a perfect life. He was a, a stone that God was going to use. But it's interesting. He doesn't just say that Jesus is a stone. He says that he's a living stone. Now, what's that all about? I've seen a lot of stones in my life. I've seen a lot of rocks. I've never seen one that is alive. If a rock is to move, somebody else has to move it, regardless of what you might think if you drove southbound on I-35 this last week. Those rocks didn't move on their own. Something moved them. Their water got behind the rock. The, The environment moved those rocks down. Rocks don't move on their own. Rocks don't have a personality. Rocks don't talk back. We, we know this, right? And yet here is described that Jesus is a, a living stone. And I think in describing that, he, he's putting forth a category that, that places it outside of the physical into the spiritual. He's not saying that Jesus has become this inanimate object that, that maybe could talk. He's not become isolated in some kind of a, a quarry someplace or a rock in a building, but that Jesus is alive and, and he's going to be fit together in some spiritual work of God, of what God is building. That's the idea by saying that Jesus, the resurrected one, is a living stone. Not something we can see with our eyes, but someone we come to in faith. And this stone that we come to is, is someone that was also rejected by men. It's an important thing for us to see. We're going to talk more about that in just a moment. But Jesus as the living stone, verse 6 tells us, has become the cornerstone in a spiritual house, a spiritual building that God is constructing. Verse 6 says it this way. It says, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. Now again, we're people that are impressed by what we see. And these were a people who were living without a temple, without a place to go to worship God. They, they, had to, they had to worship Him on the basis of what they couldn't see. And yet, Peter writes to tell them that the temple that Jesus is building, the new house where we go to worship Him, is not something that is physical. It's something that is spiritual. It's not something that is going to exist only in one spot, in one address, but it's something that will be worldwide, where anywhere people gather in Jesus' name, there the spiritual house can exist. There the opportunity is presented for us to come into God's presence and to worship Him. Jesus is going to build something different. He's going to build a spiritual house. Now, this is important because Jesus made a very peculiar statement in John chapter 2. In John chapter 2, Jesus said that he was going to tear down the temple and in three days build it again. Jesus' Jesus' statement about the temple would be repeated by Matthew and would be repeated by Mark in their Gospels. It was significant. It caught the attention of the disciples. That's because in Jerusalem was this very impressive building, the jury world of its day, where people would go and they would see this impressive building and they would know that the God who occupied that building was also someone impressive. And and Jesus said he was going to tear that down and build it back in three days. And and people who were living in the first century might have wondered, well, get on with it, Jesus. 
Go ahead and, and, and build something better. Give us the Christian version of the old temple. And Jesus doesn't oblige, at least not with a physical temple. Instead, Jesus says, my body, my life, will become a cornerstone in a new spiritual building where people can gather and worship. Now, this is really hopeful for us. Because the places of worship that are one physical building, they're in one address you might be able to visit once or twice in your life. But a spiritual building set free from a physical address that can be anywhere people gather in Jesus' name, well, then that has real possibilities. That has real hope for you. That's real grace that gives us grit to stand in this world. Jesus wants us to come to him. He's the one that is the foundation for our worship. He's the one that we gather around. We can't see this building with our eyes, and yet we're called to come to it anyway. Well, though he has created this building, some will reject it. Some will reject Jesus. They'll, they'll reject his work. We see this hinted at back in verse 4, that, that men might reject this, this living stone. Men might reject Christ. It comes very clear in verses 7 and 8. As Peter quotes some Old Testament passages and says this, it says, So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Now, in verse 6, we saw that Jesus becomes a stone that is the foundation of a new temple, but in verse 7, we get reminded that the same spiritual stone that allows us to gather in the presence of God and to worship Him all over the world is also something that people will trip over in this life. It, Jesus is also a stone of stumbling. When, when Jesus says He is the only way that men and women can have a relationship with God, that's a truth that some people have a hard time believing. It's something that they trip over. You, you might be someone who has, has tripped over that truth. You, you reject a relationship with God through Christ because you, you, you can't believe in the exclusivity that Jesus promised, that Jesus spoke of. He's become a, a stone of stumbling for some because of his exclusive claims of salvation. Uh, perhaps just the miraculous nature of what Jesus has done has become a stumbling block to some. There are some who, who look at this world from a rational, scientific mind and say, people are not raised from the dead. The divine is not born in Bethlehem. Therefore, people reject Christ. They, they stumble over Him. You see, if we just looked at the world, we would find example after example of the majority of people who have lived on this planet who see Jesus not as the foundation for their hope, but who see Jesus as something that they have tripped on in the road of life. They have rejected Him. And not only has Jesus for them become a stone of stumbling, but it also says that Jesus has become for them a rock of offense. The stone of stumbling is something that you would trip on on the road. The rock of offense is the rock you hit when you hit the ground that would cause injury. The idea here is that Jesus not only is, in his exclusive claim, something that trips some up, but it's also he's the one who will ultimately judge them because of their rejection of him. It says in verse 8 that because of their disobedience, 
they were judged. Because of their rejection of Christ, they would be judged. You see, we, we live in a world where it looks like if you reject Jesus that you win. Sometimes it looks like that, doesn't it? People walk away from spiritual things and their lives are full of other things. People walk away from, from God's truth and they, there seems to be no consequence to that. If we just relied on what we saw with our eyes, we would, we would wonder if, if the truth of the gospel is really true. And yet, by faith, we embrace not only that Jesus is our foundation, but also that, that He is one who will bring judgment to the world, and we want to be with Him when that comes. We want to be trusting in Him on that day, that there is a real consequence to be paid for rejecting Christ. You see, Jesus is the one that we come to, but some have rejected Him. You know, if, if you are, are here today and, and you have stumbled over the truth of Christ in any way, I, w- I want you to know this. It is not our heart, our hope, or our desire that, that you would also find Jesus to be the rock of your offense. I believe that you're here today because God wants you to realize that, that Jesus wants to extend mercy. He wants to extend grace to you. He wants to, as, as verse 10 says, He wants to make you his people. He wants to extend mercy to you. And if, if you are here today and, 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 and this is resonating with your heart, I, my, my encouragement to you is to not allow Jesus to be a stone of stumbling, but allow him to be the cornerstone of your worship, to be a cornerstone of your eternity, to trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins. You see, we come to him, but some reject him. But guess what? Some also believe in him. Something that many of us in this room can can relate to. Verse 5 says it this way. It says that those of us who have believed in him, those of us who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, as verse 3 said, that we ourselves are also living stones being built up into a, a spiritual house. We have become... With Christ, if he is the cornerstone, if he is the, the foundation, that we get added onto that as, as other living stones, uh, opportunity to gather in the name of Christ with, with God present and, and worship him. We gather here today, and it's a special thing, not because we're at 1501 24th Avenue Northeast and God only lives here, but because there are people here who believe in Jesus Christ. Because of that, this spiritual house that God is building exists here. But you know what? This spiritual house made up of these living stones is not isolated just to this place, but it's, it's all over town. It's all over the world. It's in Tulsi, Latvia, and Sierra Negra, is it said that right? Sierra, close? Not even close. Sierra Negra, Brazil, and, and it's in Managua, Nicaragua. There's opportunity for people to gather there in Jesus' name. The presence of God is there because the new temple is a spiritual house, the place where God is. In this spiritual house, verse 5 says that there are priests. We've become a a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Now, that's, that's pretty remarkable because in the Old Testament times, there were only a few people who were priests, and yet 
in the book of 1 Peter, we find out that, that all who have trusted in Christ are a priest of God. All of us have access to God. We don't have to go through another human intermediary. God hears our prayers. And it says that we get to offer up sacrifices, not animal sacrifices and burnt offering sacrifices like the Old Testament. Jesus has already taken care of those things. Our sin is already forgiven. But we get to offer up, he says, spiritual sacrifices, not ones that we necessarily see with our eyes but are no less real. Romans chapter 12 talks about our lives being a living sacrifice to God, following Him, laying down our will to His. We're a a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices to God. Verse 9, he, he expands us even further. He says that we are a, a chosen race. Regardless of what we see with our eyes, if we know Christ, we're a part of a chosen race. And that, that race is not black or, or white or, or any other ethnicity. It is, a, it is a special group made up of people from all of those backgrounds who have embraced Christ. We are part of the, a chosen race. He goes on, he says, we're a part of a royal priesthood, a holy nation, not America or Brazil or Latvia or Nicaragua, but something wholly different, a collection of people gathered in Jesus' name, a people for his own possession. We may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We have the privilege of telling the world of the greatness of Christ. The temple was a place people came to, the old temple. The new temple, the new spiritual house, is a mobile home, guys. We get to take it around the world and tell people of the greatness of Jesus. Once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. See, with our eyes, we can think that we are, are not blessed by God, we are not encouraged, He's not with us, but... But if we look beyond that, not just to the physical, not just to see do we have a big Jerry World place where we can go, if we look to the, the spiritual things of what God is doing, what we see is that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God has blessed us in Christ with his presence among us, and we can gather here in this place and we can worship him. Now, with, with all of that said, I, I want to I end our, our time today with, with just a challenge to you guys. That challenge is this. I, I, want, you, I want everybody here to, to make a pilgrimage. I want you to make a pilgrimage. Now, you, you might you hear that, and that, that sounds a little odd, especially in light of, of this, this, this last thing. But hopefully when I get done talking here, you'll understand what I mean. See, I have a chance to go to Israel um, this this coming uh, fall. And in October, I'm going to be a part of a, of a group that's going to go to Israel. And I'm really looking forward to this trip. I, I've had a number of people tell me, Mark, you got to go. It'll really help your teaching. And so apparently, I'm deficient in a number of ways. I need to go to Israel. Um, but I, I'm really excited about this. I'm excited to go to Israel. I'm excited to go as an educational experience. I'm, I'm excited to go just for some of the, the things of the Bible to come alive in the, these, this physical environment that where Jesus really lived and the Sea of Galilee and what does it look like and you know, how far is it from point A to point B. I'm really looking forward to those kinds of things. But let me tell you what this trip to Israel is not. This trip to Israel is not a pilgrimage. You know, a lot of people would think of it that way. Now, at great cost, they, they would invest resources to go to the place where God lives. That's what a pilgrimage is. That's what a Muslim does. 
maybe once in their life, they'll, they'll save up and they'll make this pilgrimage and they'll go to Mecca to see the, the, the place where they think God lives. There's an address, there's a city, there's a, there's a physical location. They go there to meet God. That's what a pilgrimage is. In the Old Testament times, people would make a pilgrimage. They would go to, to Israel. They would go there to see the temple because in the temple was the Holy of Holies with the Ark of the Covenant, and that's where God was. There was a physical address where they would go, and people would make pilgrimage to go there. But you know what, folks? Going to Israel today is not a pilgrimage. You know why? Because God doesn't have an address there. You know why? Because he tore down the old temple. 70 A.D., it went all the way to the ground. And you know what he replaced it with? Spiritual house that we have access to not once in our lifetime, but we have access to every single day. The presence of God in the community of believers. Living stones stacked around Jesus, our cornerstone. And we have the privilege to come into his presence, to to study his word together, to lift up his praises, to hear what he's doing around the world and be encouraged because God is with us. He is with us in this spiritual house. And so because that is true, because this passage informs us of that, I would just encourage you to make a pilgrimage to where God is. You know where God is? He's in community. We gather here on Sunday mornings in the presence of God not because this place is special, but because we're a, a holy people. And Jesus has chosen to dwell here, but not just here, but, but everywhere where people gather in Jesus' name. And not only that, but when we gather together around town in small groups, you know what? Jesus is there as well. We gather in community because God has fit us together like living stones that we could celebrate his presence together. And you know, one of the things I love about Wildwood is that we have a number of, of different small groups that meet in homes throughout the week, some on Sunday nights, some on different nights of the week, and they're led by a number of people. As a matter of fact, if you lead one of our small groups in your home, would you just stand? I just would love for us to, to see you and to acknowledge you. Uh, we had a number in the first service, a few more uh, here now. Um, but just... Uh, just thank you for what you do. This is what you do as you lead community, as, you, as you're helping to be a part of this spiritual temple. And Wildwood is so thankful for you. We actually have a, something for you in the gathering hall this morning before you leave. But the challenge for us is to make a pilgrimage. Make a pilgrimage into, to worship here together. Make a pilgrimage to, to, to go into community together. We, we would put great cost into making a trip to a faraway place, but when we... we Organize our lives and our calendars to have the room and the margin just to be with the people of God, to encourage one another, and to worship Him together. This is what we do. While we believe that this small groups and this community is so important, we believe this worship that we do on Sunday is so important, we're hopeful to be able to even launch about 30 more small groups this fall. And, and so if, if you are interested, God is, is, is encouraging you to make a pilgrimage into one of these groups Get ready, because we got some more information about those things in the weeks ahead. This morning, as we gather together, we gather around Jesus, our cornerstone, as a part of his spiritual house. Stand.
I'm going to pray, and after I pray, we're going we're to sing together to Jesus, our cornerstone. Father, we thank you. We thank you, thank you, thank you for this life. We thank you for the spiritual house that you have placed us inside. And Father, we pray that you would um, just allow us uh, to have um, just the courage to see beyond what our eyes see, to see the spiritual work that you're doing in this world. We would gather around your presence and we would lift your name up. Thank you for the the community that you have given us. Thank you for your presence that you have promised us. And thank you for how, how you've accomplished all of it through the work of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray.